Worm Farm physically emanates from 40 acres in Sauk County, Wisconsin, on the northeast edge of the Driftless Zone, where we raise organic vegetables, but also host uh, community arts programming, including a visiting artist program. We are called the Worm Farm for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, worms are the uh, indicator of a healthy soil, indicator and builder of a healthy soil. There's a quote from Charles Darwin, and that is, uh, every fertile grain of soil has passed at least once through the gut of an earthworm. So it's an homage to this uh, seemingly lowly creature upon which all of our fertility is dependent. We are also called the worm farm. It would be slightly irreverent, but it turned out to be really uh, a good choice because, first of all, people never forget it. People who've heard about it only once will always remember the place, the worm farm. But it has also really come to be emblematic of our work in developing healthy soils, whether it's for vegetables or fertile soils, whether for vegetables or for uh, the creative arts, for creativity. That's farmer, artist, and art organizer Jay Salinas. He and his partner Donna Newworth are the founders of Worm Farm. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Fifteen years ago, Donna Newworth and Jay Salinas bought the farm, or a farm anyway, in Sauk County, Wisconsin. It was a big move for the two Chicago-bred artists, but they were drawn to the beautiful countryside and had a yearning to produce the food that they ate. So beginning from a place of what Jay describes as almost total ignorance, they began to farm. They became part of the CSA, community-sponsored agriculture movement, and sold some of their produce to city folks, who in turn became interested in the farm. Jay Salinas and Donna Newworth, for their part, never lost their passion for art, even as they became more immersed in their new community. Well, one thing led to another, and the Worm Farm Institute was born, offering a place where agriculture, art, community, and creativity could blossom. I spoke to Jay Salinas when he visited Washington, D.C. recently. I wanted to know how Worm Farm as a concept developed. Initially, Worm Farm began as a, an organic farm. We raised, we raised vegetables that we marketed through community-supported agriculture. But again, since we were artists, we fancied ourselves creative types, we had a lot of friends back in the city who also had that same vocation, and they would come and visit, and we would find that they would be very inspired by the landscape, by the land. The other thing about where we live is there's a, a long and deep human and natural history to uh, Sauk County. Wisconsin. So one of the things that rural Wisconsin in general doesn't have is a tremendous amount of cultural offerings. So we, in in the grandest tradition of let's put on a show, we started doing it ourselves. And at the beginning, it was pretty much for ourselves. Actually, we began by mounting uh, exhibits on the farm with this organic vegetable marketing system, community-supported agriculture. We had families come to the farm to get a farm experience. And we ended our season with a with a harvest festival. By this time, we'd had artists working on the farm in a, in a very sort of informal artist residency program. Let me just interrupt for a second. So it would be families from the city 
families from Chicago. Coming to the farm to get groceries. To, right, about 200 miles from Chicago to pick up their fresh produce. Uh, and, and, and then we had young emerging artists who, through word of mouth or other ways, would find their way to the farm and, and want to work on a farm. There's a lot of young people who are really hungry for that experience and more and more creative people who feel that need also. But they would come to the farm and they would have minimal duties on the farm and then the rest of the time they, their charge would be to follow their, their own creative impulse. And so with our season-ending harvest festival, we always included an artist exhibit that would be mounted in the barn. It's a 1915 Dutch gambrel old dairy barn. So it's really beautiful space, almost cathedral-like in, in a way. And some of it would be 2D, and some of it would be 3D, and some of it would be enormous, and some of it would be tiny. And it was a really wonderful experience for a rather small group. In about 2000, right about the time we became incorporated as a not-for-profit, we acquired a building in downtown Reedsburg, an 1890s former office building for a woolen mill that used to be the big employer in town. And again, Donna, my partner, is the one who spotted it. It had been remodeled and covered with aluminum siding and, you know, boarded up. And she saw the diamond in the rough. And so we acquired this and restored it, lovingly restored it. And it had a beautiful storefront that we then turned into a gallery space. And so at that point, we became literally invested in the community. It gave us a really high visibility venue right on Main Street where we began to mount exhibits and host speakers and workshops, et cetera. What's the population of Reedsburg? Reedsburg is about 10,000 now. It's almost doubled in the time that we've been there. Yeah, it's always been fairly thriving economically. How did the community respond to this when you first started doing this? Well, at first they didn't respond. I remember back in the day we we put on some really fantastic shows that had little or no people attending, but they were really well thought out and wonderfully installed. But each time we would do it, we'd pick up one or two more people or three or four, and we began to reach out to, to local artists too, and then we'd get more and more people to come in. But it was a very slow building. So if if we hadn't been passionate and, and truly believed in what, what we were doing, we probably would have given up long before now. You know, it's interesting because when I was first thinking about what you do, I thought this marriage of agriculture and art slash culture, mm-hmm. it, it seems so unusual. But then I had a little think and I thought, in fact, it is quite traditional, but we've gotten away from that in the same way we've gotten away from the way our food is grown, for example. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, culture is embedded in the word agriculture. That's what started me thinking. (laughs) Right, right. And you're right on all those accounts. I mean, what's happened in agriculture is in many cases, it's it's become agribusiness, and we've really lost that cultural element. And the the mission of the Worm Farm, and later on the not-for-profit, which is the Worm Farm Institute, is to reintegrate culture and agriculture, to find those connections once again, which were there and are still there if we look hard enough, and we find much fertile ground to, to work in that field, to extend the metaphor. I don't remember where I heard this, but I, I, I've said it so often, I'm going to attribute it to myself, and that's food, because it is fundamental, is unique in its ability to affect social change or cultural development. And it plays out over and over and over again. I mean, uh, not to rely too much on quotes, but there's Wendell Berry, just a great poet, philosopher, and farmer, 
Uh, how we eat determines to a large extent how the world is used. And th these are really powerful sentiments uh, in embodied in these very simple sentences. We, we're, we're working on a whole project that's developed over a number of years called the reenchantment of agriculture. Farmers, I maintain, and, and I don't think it's a particularly original, are, are sort of the original interlocutors between the human and the natural world. They're taking the stuff of the rain and the soil and the, and the manure, and they create these concentrated packages of energy that we, that we then take into our body in a sort of communion. So they're working with these eternal mysteries, life and death and sex and blood and, and these fundamental forces that they then turn into food. And, and what better way to communicate that than through art, through the, through the metaphor making that, that art is at its core really about. You have a term called culture shed. Yeah. Explain what that means. Well, most people know what a watershed is, right? A geographic area that's linked by its surface waters. And, and when we found ourselves in, the, in this new agriculture, the term food shed began to gain currency, which is an area that strives to become nutritionally self-sufficient as much as possible. And so in conjunction with a very early project we did uh, back in the uh, late 90s, I guess I coined the word culture shed, and, and it's the idea that a region should strive to become as culturally self-sufficient as possible. And this is not to cut yourself off from the outside world, but, but not to be solely dependent on sort of a top-down, what I call the baby bird model of, of cultural dissemination, that you're not sitting there with your mouth open and waiting for someone to plop something in it. it but it takes advantage of the deep pools of human and natural history of your area and, and the, the work of farmers and chefs and writers and poets and artists of your, of your land, of your community, that can speak directly to the experience and I would say even the needs of, of the people in an area, in the region. And have you found in your part of the world in Wisconsin, that this allows you to build a stronger community there or help participate in the building of a stronger community it, it, there? It really has. I talked about the, the challenges we had early on, but we're, we're close to achieving critical mass. I think part of it is our persistence. Part of it is our ability to learn more about where we live and maybe convincing our neighbors that we're not carpetbaggers, we're not passing through, we're, we're here to stay. We've really put down roots. We have reached out to the community and they have responded in kind. And so there does seem to be a much more fervent embrace of what it is that we're doing. I mean, for instance, uh, last year we were fortunate to host Key Ingredients, a Smithsonian traveling exhibit, a museum from Main Street, Key Ingredients America by Food, which was one of the perfect things for us to do. And so it gave Explain us Explain a little bit about that. Oh, Museums on Main Street is a fantastic project that runs out of the Smithsonian where they create traveling exhibits that will go around the country. They usually stop at uh, maybe five or six places in each state. And communities, uh, I think you have to be under 10,000, communities uh, compete to host them by proposing a range of supporting programming. We were fortunate to be selected last year and even more fortunate to be first on the list because that meant that the people from the Smithsonian came and installed for us uh, where everyone else had to do their own. But it also allowed us to leverage the Smithsonian name to give us the imprimatur 
in order to secure a wider range of speakers than we normally would. I mean, we're fortunate that we have some excellent and brilliant even people within our, I'll say, our orbit, a sphere of influence that we're able to call upon. And through them, we're able to reach out even further. So last year, some people may know the name uh, Gary Paul Nabin, who's uh, a brilliant biologist, ethnobotanist, I, I believe, based in Arizona, uh, actually a MacArthur genius uh, about a decade ago, and we were able to bring him to the community, and, and we brought people from 100 miles away to, to our, our local public library. We had this broader set of community partnerships, so some things took place at the library, some things took place at the Woolen Mill Gallery, some things took place at the high school auditorium, and so we were sort of spreading the wealth around in that way. So yeah, it's a, turned into a really wonderful satisfying not only to us but increasingly to the community where they where they realize that you know again we're here to stay uh, that what we do has merit and they're actually they, they're participating too they want to be part of it then they're become the chamber of commerce has become a great partner in current projects we're working with our county board who is being very supportive of, of our work so it's been it's really an exercise in community building in a way that we would have never imagined uh, 10 years ago or 13 years years ago when we selected the silly name Worm Farm. So what I'm hearing is that part of why Worm Farm is successful is because you didn't see your mission as going to the country to teach the poor souls about art. You were there to learn as well as to share. It was a reciprocal arrangement. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we had ideas that we came with, but I think we have found ways to collaborate. We found plenty of common ground. I mean, for instance, uh, one of the, the things that came out of the uh, Key Ingredients Project last year, like I said, we just tremendous community support. Hundreds of people participated, probably you know halfway through before the Smithsonian arrived, but about a, maybe like six months into the year-long planning, people began to realize that this was something that was going to be a one-shot deal, and there was a lot of effort going into this, and then the Smithsonian would come, it would be here for six weeks, it would be a great thing, but then it would never come back. And they wanted to have something that would be left behind. And so then that's when we came up with the idea of a fermentation festival. So that, that's sort of the leave behind for the future. And we, we're fortunate that we live in a place where there's still just a tremendous depth of knowledge on food preservation, canning and preserving and pickling. And and, uh, and it just happens to be that there's a, a renewed interest among urban hipster types. And sustainability is also a concern right now for a growing number of people. Right. It's not solely about convenience anymore and that there are things beyond convenience that are important. Sustainability is not just about the soil. Sustainable community is about thriving, not just surviving. And, and having a thriving culture and having a thriving agriculture is key to sustainability. You have some really interesting projects, and one of them is something you call culture stands. And you take the old roadside vegetable stand that we're all used to seeing in the countryside, but you just don't sell apples. <laughs> right. They're uh, artist-designed and built, or artist or architect-designed and built, mobile produce vending stands that are, are made to be beautiful and visually compelling, whether they're opened or closed. They can travel from place to place, so they're not dependent on a single market. They, they can be micro-entrepreneur mobiles, 
but they also have the specific mission to vend local art where allowed. I mean, there are, we've found it's much easier to sell carrots than it is to sell artwork um, as far as zoning and licensing and things like that go. But they can't at least sell it. Then there, the, each of these roadside culture stands has an, uh, sort of an int- informational kiosk that will direct people to local art galleries, poetry, whatever. So this is a project that's uh, in its third year now. We're, we are uh, commissioning our third round of them. As we speak, uh, they're, they're being built, and we're finding welcome homes for them. People are, are becoming very interested in using them. And so this is part of it, too, is that not just having them built, but finding the, the right community-based partner whose mission would be advanced by the use of the culture stand. And you've actually placed culture stands in the city. They're not just in rural areas anymore. Right. They're in Milwaukee. Uh, they're in Madison. They have the ability to address access to fresh local foods. I mean, the term food desert is one that's becoming a little bit more controversial. But there's the, the idea that there are large swaths of urban areas where fresh food is not available, where only fast food or processed food is available. And so these culture stands, uh, they've been built on trailers to be pulled behind trucks to this point, but there's actually one being built now that is uh, on a trike, just like the pedicabs out here, and will be able to then move about the city and or a neighborhood and make fresh produce available. You have a speaker series as well. Yes. For several years now in the gallery, we have what's called the growing season. And again, referring to our work as farmers, but also by the fact that for very good reasons, it's open from April till October, November, which is the growing season and also kind of avoids the bulk of the heating season which makes it a little bit more financially sustainable. But uh, we do about one exhibit a month and try and have uh, a speaker. Sometimes it's thematically related to the um, art exhibit that's installed, but uh, sometimes there's a broader theme that we're working on through the year. Well, you're having an exhibit this summer at the gallery that seems to me to be this great combination of science, art, agriculture called Watermark, and it's about water. Explain what's going to be happening at the gallery. Water, I think everyone knows by now, is is a huge issue. And we are working with a, I guess we'll call her a curator or an organizer. Uh, Her name is Kathy Buzide, who we gave a show two years ago. Last year, she organized a show, and she asked if she could do one again this year. Last year was called Women in Grain, and it was a fantastic show. Uh, reaching out across the country. She was able, through her connection, she brought artists literally from coast to coast to come to Reedsburg, Wisconsin, and install work that addressed this idea of grain and seeds and, again, sustainability. And so uh, when we talked about what she might do this year, the idea of water came up, and we're in a place where we are blessed, truly blessed, with a supply of surface and groundwater that sustains us but uh, has faced threats from corporate interests who are interested in bottling the water and commodifying it, and that's a, that's a whole other discussion. So this is going to be a celebration of this, this substance that we oftentimes take for granted, even though we might pay a buck a bottle for it, that is key to sustaining us all. And that will be installed, I think, at the end of July. Your artist-in-residency program started off as something quite casual, but now it's really a program. 
Yeah, I mean, I used to joke that to call it a program would be like calling a teapot a particle accelerator. But it has really become a program. It's probably one of our foundational programs. It's still rather small and will probably have to remain that way because of our facility for the time being. But as I said earlier, it's usually young, emerging artists who come and they want to immerse themselves in the life of of a working farm and one that raises organic vegetables. So they actually participate. They help out in the garden, you know, minimal amount, but just enough to engage them in those processes, and it serves to inform their work. It's interesting that we're increasing number of applicants each year, and the work that results from their residency is complex and sophisticated, but it can still speak to the community. And again, we had a really wonderful uh, experience last year where a visiting artist, Terence Campagna, who's actually in China right now in a residency, and whose work, I wouldn't say that it's challenging, but again, it's very subtle and it's very thoughtful and maybe not immediately accessible. And he gave an artist talk in the gallery last year and it was lightly attended, but oh, a group of elderly women that I, I think it was like a night out for a, a church group or something like that. And Terrence had them wrapped. He did some video work that was very subtle and, you know, focusing on the landscape. And you have to look really carefully to see something happen. But it's just exquisite, sublime. But they got it. And, and, and Terrence was able to communicate verbally what he was doing, too. And, and the women asked dozens of questions, and they kept him there for like a half an hour after his talk. It was, I mean, kind of like mini rock star, and it was it had to be one of my favorite experiences. And you ask each artist to leave a piece of their art behind or to give a talk in the gallery. They, they share with the community, and we end the growing season, exhibit season, with a, a visiting artist exhibition. We ask, if appropriate, that they leave us with a work for the permanent collection that we bring out every once in a while and, and install a show. You're also involved in the Reedsburg History Murals. Yeah, that was actually sort of the, the real icebreaker with, with the community. As I said, you know, early on we, we put on some really fascinating art shows that I thought were fascinating and but didn't receive the level of attention that perhaps they deserved. And so in a way to sort of figure out how to engage the community a little bit more, the idea of murals came about. And as I mentioned early on, there's a fascinating history to our area. So Donna, my partner and the the executive director, brought together a a group of of painters, mostly local painters, and we started doing research. And one of the the things that led to it is uh, the Baraboo River runs through our town. And uh, the Baraboo River had all of its dams removed and was so the longest restored river in the United States about 100 miles, there was probably four or five dams left before they made a concerted effort to restore it. So it was the longest restored free-flowing river in the United States. Early in the the European settlement, the rivers were dammed in order to provide power for mills, and the, the Woolen Mill Gallery was part of that. So it was a combination of natural resources, agriculture, and industry, which which led to the founding or the establishment of the of the town of Reedsburg, and now with the the river being undammed, it became more valuable as its natural resource again. Where 
the fishing was going to be better. The water quality in the air was going to be better. The the floodplain was going to be improved by not having these dams there. And there's also a um, bike trail, a, a rails to trail that runs al- along the railroad tracks that used to run uh, parallel to the river. So uh, we were highlighting those things with the very first mural. Then there was another one of the, specifically about the bike trail. Another one about there was a, a hops boom and bust in Reedsburg in the uh, 1860s where over a very short period of time, fortunes were made and lost uh, raising hops for beer. And we have our you know, a little craft beer renaissance in Reedsburg, and so we were calling attention to that too. So tying these things together, the history of the land, the history of human industry, but and also using the talents of local artists to, to depict this and keep it to make it a, a gift to the community. What do you grow? on the farm? We grow uh, organic vegetables. We have about four acres of mixed vegetables, uh, maybe about 60 or 70 different things. We have a couple of hoop houses where we extend our season. Uh, We do something called aquaponics, a mixture of flowing water, fish, and plants. We do vermicomposting. So that's one of the questions we get. Do you raise worms? And, uh, well, yes, we do, as a matter of fact. And, again, going back to that Darwin quote, worm castings, worm poop, probably the best fertilizer known to man. We also have some livestock on the farm, uh, well, a small laying flock for ourselves. Over the years, we've raised sheep and goats and cattle, and we've had horses. And It's a fully diversified farm, human and animal and plant-wise, so all of our elements are in balance. Jay Salinas, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. That was Jay Salinas. He and Donna Newworth are the founders of Worm Farm. You can find out more about rural creative placemaking in the current issue of NEA Arts. Just go to our website, arts.gov. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpt from Nicotine Blues, composed and performed by Kurt Weil, recorded live at WFMU, used courtesy of Creative Commons. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, we celebrate the birthday of Louis Armstrong. I speak with Armstrong biographer and renowned jazz critic Gary Giddens. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.